Good evening, everyone, and thank you for listening to the Futurati Podcast, where we dive into how emerging technologies will impact the world and your bank account. I'm Trent Fowler, and tonight I'm bringing you a solo episode because my co-host Thomas Fry was not able to make it. But Thomas and I are futurists, keynote speakers, and consultants with decades of experience in analyzing trends and communicating new developments to audiences across the world. Reach out to us at futuratipodcast.com slash contact dash Futurati if you'd like to hire us for speaking, consulting, or to advertise on our podcast. Now, I just wrapped up a somewhat last-minute episode with Jeffrey Laddish, who is a security researcher and an AI uh, safety researcher as well. Uh, I've actually known him for a while. We met five or six years ago, I think, at a leverage research event. At the time, he was building a stable coin, but I followed him on Twitter ever since. I found him to be very insightful and to bring a very unique mix of different skills and different perspectives to questions about global catastrophic risk and existential risk. So I just hit him up kind of out of the blue, and we threw together this episode. We're actually recording late on a Friday. And the conversation was just excellent. So uh, Jeffrey has thought very deeply deeply about uh, the various ways in which artificial intelligence could go very poorly for humanity, about the various ways in which we might be able to predict in advance how that doom will befall us. Uh, he knows a lot about alignment research, about the state of interpretability and various other subdomains that bear upon the question of AI safety, whether we can trust these systems, whether we should continue developing them, whether we should pause on them. So if you read Eliezer Yudkowsky's piece in Time Magazine calling for a shutdown of AI research, if you looked at the Future of Life Institute letter, if you saw my interview on the Daily Objective with Mark Pellegrino about this subject, you'll want to catch this one with Jeffrey. He's a super sharp guy. I had a lot of fun talking to him, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. So without further ado, this is episode 129 with Jeffrey Laddish. Tonight, we're joined by Jeffrey Laddish. Jeffrey runs a security company called Gordian Research, which provides operational security consulting services. And he spends his remaining time thinking about new and old ways of working together to build communities, governance systems, and ultimately a thriving and robust civilization. If you enjoyed this interview, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends. And don't forget to check out our website, futuritypodcast.com. Jeffrey, thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, great to be here. Let's hear a little bit about your background, your interests, and what brought you to working on the problems that you're working on today. Yeah, totally. Um, yes, yeah, so my background goes back, you know, 13 and a half billion years ago, but we can skip some of the preamble stuff. <laughs> uh, you gotta do that to me. <laughs> <laughs> I studied uh, evolutionary biology in my undergraduate, um, and then I sort of encountered Nick Bostrom's work as I was thinking about, like, um, human extinction risk and realized that Nick Bostrom had already done a bunch of work in the space. And I was thinking about that a lot and sort of became interested in uh, nuclear risk and risk from biological weapons. Um, and at the same time, I was getting into information security. My college had like a hacking club. So I started getting into that. I was like, hmm, this is maybe a useful skill that I could apply towards some of this existential risk stuff. So uh, yeah, I went and started working in tech and doing security engineering work. And then since then, I've sort of done a combination of like research into various kinds of catastrophic risks um, and then sort of working in, in tech. And then eventually these, these came together about a couple of years ago. Um, so I started help, helping out at the, on the Anthropic security team and just trying to understand like, um, yeah, what, what are, the, what are the, the main risks from AI and how do we, how do we defend against them? Um, and then, yeah, since then I have sort of started my own project to 
how do we do good risk assessments and then communicate these risks uh, to the public and policymakers uh, so that we can somehow survive this interesting transition? That's fascinating. So it, it, it sounds like you originally started with a broader focus on global catastrophic risks and then zeroed in on artificial intelligence being either unique in some way or uniquely dangerous. And I wonder if you would endorse that framing of it and if you could walk us through why you think that in particular? Why, why didn't you go into uh, engineered pathogens, given that you have a background in, in biology? Like why artificial intelligence in particular? Yeah, no, that, and that's that's basically right. I, I So I spent maybe a couple of years on sort of each category. So in, initially I was like, I want to really dive into nuclear risks. And I, I think in part because it felt the most concrete to me, where I'm like, okay, well, nuclear weapons exist. Like, no one denies they exist. We've done nuclear tests. We can see, you know, hydrogen bombs are incredibly powerful. Um, and people were talking about the, you know, potential existential risks from them. And so I wanted to look, look into that. And one of the things that seemed uncertain to me was like, how bad would nuclear winter be? Um, and I ended up spending a bunch of time looking through the literature, which is not a, you know, it's not a lot of literature. It's really like, like less than 10 papers that are looking at the, uh, the potential and the climate effects from a nuclear exchange and sort of the estimates range from extremely catastrophic such that it could kill most people on earth to just merely pretty catastrophic where the maybe the cooling effects wouldn't actually be that bad but the direct effects from nuclear war would still be obviously pretty pretty awful um but even the people who are most pessimistic about it didn't think that nuclear winter would actually kill everyone um and so and that was really the only mechanism where you might get human extinction. So nuclear war would be like incredibly bad, but not actually an existential threat. We would rebuild. I expect we'd actually rebuild pretty quickly. Um, not to say it wouldn't be, you know, horrible. Like, I, again, I think it's very worth uh, nuclear winter. Nuclear not that bad on the whole. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's the interesting thing is like compared to, I think what we're dealing with with AI, I think that that's, that's actually true. Um, on the bio side, it, it, I think it's a similar story where engineered pandemics could be could be pretty awful. And there's other kinds of biotechnology that, you know, might someday pose an existential threat. But we really haven't gotten there in the tech tree yet. So, like, you know, yes, like, you know, vaccine resistant smallpox would be terrible, but it wouldn't be the end. You know, we can do quarantines. We can figure stuff out. Um, you know, COVID was was bad. but And you can imagine, you know, many orders of magnitude worse, but like it's still still all pretty survivable. Um so yeah, again, real risks to mitigate there, but um, it's not the case that you know in the default case, you know in the default case you get human extinction. Whereas I think that with with AI systems, um, you know, at some capability level, I do think the default case is like AI systems take over, humans are permanently disempowered, probably dead, not clear. But like regardless, it's just that you get this huge transition in power from you know human intelligence to AI intelligence. Um, yeah. Uh, Double, double acronym of yeah yeah anyway <laughs> um yeah so yeah I mean you're you're very familiar with this stuff I imagine most people at this point are very familiar with with this um I, I think for me like I like read super intelligence you know back in like I don't know whenever it was published like 2016 or something and I was like okay this seems this seems compelling um also like reading Eliezer Yudkowsky's work and I was like okay in theory I can totally imagine an AI system that's like much more intelligent than than any human and and I think the thing that made it like sort of sink home for me was imagining 
okay, like computer systems can like have a bunch of advantages that that human that human brains don't have. Like we sort of have these like clear bottlenecks um, on the biological side. Like you know, we, you know, for one thing is that like our, like our heads can't get too much bigger. We just like wouldn't you know you couldn't like really birth humans if the heads were too much bigger. So like there's some just like constraints there. Also you know how many like calories can we eat? How big are we? There's just like lots of ways in which you can't really scale human brains that much further. So we have to do a lot of our like processing computation in parallel between different humans. We have culture, we have all this stuff. I mean, it's really impressive that we can like build rockets and like send them to the moon and such. But it, but it really seems like AI systems like aren't fundamentally constrained by these things. Like computer systems just like you could potentially scale them much, much further. Um, and then there's this question of like, okay, well, like if you can add more computational power to it to a system, does that could that get you just like more and more intelligence? Like is there a way to just keep pumping the intelligence crank? And I think I was like, oh, in theory, this seems true. Um, and then GPT came along and I'm like, wait, oh, I guess in practice, this is true. And this is, I think, a big, this was a big shift for me. Where like, I don't know, I, I read Scott Alexander's like, you know, maybe GPT-2 GPT is like the sort of like start of, of, of uh, like on the path to AGI. And I was like, I don't know if this is true, but it seems plausible that it could be true. And then GPT-3 came out and I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, okay, this is, this is true. Like, like, it's not clear that we will actually get all the way to this like fully general purpose intelligence that can do everything humans can do better than humans can do just with the GPT architecture. But it's not, it's not crazy. And I think with GPT-4, we see this like really powerful, really sophisticated reasoning happening uh, by the system. And I'm, and now I'm just like, yeah, well, clearly you can, we, we can keep scaling and we'll keep getting like more, more intelligence of some kind. Um, and I think I'm now at the point where I'm like, yeah, I mean, it just really seems like, you know, within the decade, um, but like, you know, if it, maybe we run into a bunch of barriers and it's like two decades, but it seems just like very likely that we're going to hit the, hit the threshold where it's like, yeah, we can just like get these get AI systems to do everything we can do. And I really do mean like everything. Like, I just like, don't see anything that humans like should be able to do better than, than an AI system could do. Like, like, it doesn't seem like there's anything that's like particularly special about like our architecture or like something about the way that you know we evolved the way we were trained that you couldn't eventually like get an AI system to do and like if that's the case um yeah I mean if that's the case then you just get this big transition between in terms of like power in terms of like what you know uh like yeah I, I feel like I feel like there's like something where it's like hard to communicate where people are like okay well like why would the AI systems like want to do things we wouldn't want to do um and I feel like that's like maybe not even the right question it's like and part of the question is just like who is like in control of the world like like what like what force in the world is like responsible for most of like what what else happens? If you imagine like an alien civilization came along that was just like at a much higher technology level than we were, and they like they came to Earth and they wanted stuff, then it's just like well yeah like you're gonna you're like we should sort of expect that whatever happens is gonna happen mostly based on the preferences of like what these aliens do, and I think that the same is true for AI systems, and so it's like. Yeah, maybe one question here is, and I go, oh, by the way, feel free to interrupt me. I feel like there's like lots, lots <laughs> to say in this domain. <laughs> oh yeah, tons. But but uh, like I think one, I think one, one question people have is like, oh, like will these systems have goals? Because right now you like play with GPT four, mm -hmm. and it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, it, 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 you know, maybe it, like wants to like help you answer your questions, but it's not like a super clearly goal directed system. It's mostly just like answering questions for you, or like writing scripts for you, or like writing you know cool poetry that also is a proof of some something you know. Right. Um, but, yeah. but you're like okay, that's like not super goal-directed. It's not like we think that this is like something that has a world state in mind that's trying to optimize really hard for. Um, but it seems to me that like things that have goals end up being economically very useful. Like, you know, one thing I would like to have GPT-4 do is like, uh, you know, help me make a website. And right now I'm sort of like the whole, the whole way through, I have to like give it feedback of like, okay, I actually want you to add this feature or add that feature. I would love for it to be like, 
hey, can you just like ask me questions about what would make a better website and then just like go out and do it? And like, if you need to go get more information, ask someone else and like hire someone to like, you know, help you with other things. And if I could just like go out and do that, that would just be like way more useful to me than what it currently can do. Um, and like, I'm like, oh yeah, well that would be like very agent like behavior with like goals where like its goal is to, like make an amazing website. Um, and it like doesn't need to like, it doesn't need to check in with me each 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 step of the way because it like has this objective in mind. Um, and I'm like, yeah, well, I bet we'll train AI systems to do that. Like we're already sort of, people are already kind of trying to. Um, yeah. And we can talk about some of the ML, you know, part of that. But I'm just like, man, that just sure seems economically useful. So my, my prediction is just like people will do that. And then you'll have like more and more goal-directed systems. Uh, and then, yeah, eventually you get, you know, super intelligent goal-directed systems. And that's the point where I'm like, cool. Now you have this fundamental asymmetry between human power and AI power. And that's to me where all the existential risk comes from. It's just like you have this huge power asymmetry and you're like, man, I sure do hope that those AI systems like really want the same things we want for us. <laughs> right, right. I think the alien framing is really productive because I mean, you could imagine super intelligent aliens coming to Earth and es essentially extracting whatever value they want. And even if they liked most of the things we liked and didn't particularly want to hurt us, if their value ordering were different, you know, even along one or two dimensions in small ways, it, it could be a nightmare from our perspective. If if they just, you know, didn't see the the point of assortative mating or or whatever, they they thought that uh, our art was kind of primitive and not really worth keeping around. Like it's not hard to imagine a lot of the value of human life being destroyed in relatively short order by things that don't even particularly want to kill us, but just don't care that much. Uh, don't don't have any native empathy for us and uh, want want the world to be optimized along just slightly different parameters. Than what we currently have and I, I agree with you 100 that a lot of us updated on gpt4 gpt3 and 4 uh I actually just it, it's it's sort of it, it's a good and bad time to be a podcaster because you know there's tons of people to talk to and tons of really cool stuff to talk about but also you can be embarrassingly wrong or naive just a few weeks later so i we just put out an episode we, we just put out an episode on how gpt3 is not going to take all the jobs and i don't think it will and i don't think gpt4 will either so if that is the hard stop on this particular paradigmatic approach to creating generally intelligent systems that I don't think we have a lot to fear. The problem yeah. is in the discontinuities. And so uh, yeah, I, agree I don't know if, yeah. I don't know if you watch the show Supernatural, but the guy that plays Lucifer in Supernatural, uh, Mark Pellegrino, he, he also uh, co-hosts a podcast and I was just on uh, his podcast earlier this week, basically making the same case. And I made it along similar lines. I said, so on the one hand, we, we know of exactly one human level intelligence that has the sort of open-ended agency that humans have and that's yeah. human beings we came yeah. about as a result of a blind largely brute force or entirely brute force optimization process evolution yeah and we are throwing similar sorts of resources and training in similar sorts of ways with these large language models and so it's it's impossible to rule out there's no principled reason to rule out that agency or goal directedness could emerge from these systems um and that's not even counting the fact that people are trying to build them that way. I mean, yeah. two weeks after yeah. GPT-4 was released, uh, Microsoft, or I think it was Microsoft, put out a paper like, hey, you know, it'd be cool is if we made these things agents and we gave them volition. And it's like, maybe we shouldn't, you know, like may maybe we just shouldn't. Um, I don't know. Do, do you have any responses to that? I have other questions we can get to if you like. Yeah, I mean, I, I think like, yeah, the, I think that there's this really interesting question of like, what would happen if you took a like transformer, like, you know, sequence predictor architecture, like next token predictor, and you scaled it up to like size of the universe or something like, would it become a super intelligence? Would it have agency and all of this, 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 this stuff? And the answer is like, I really don't know. Like that sounds like a mm -hmm. super weird system. And I don't know whether it would do that. I think I like lean towards thinking, yes, you might get like weird emergent agency from like 
the incentive of predicting the next token. And like all of this stuff seems very interesting and also like not really necessary um, in terms of like, like I think it just like doesn't actually have that much practical implications for risks because of this because of this huge economic incentive to build agents. Um, so I, th I think that like, it just seems very overdetermined that people will try to do this. Um, that being said, I'm not saying that people should like, I'm like, please don't, <laughs> like, please like don't rush ahead to do that thing. You know, it's like, oh my goodness, like let's only build agents once we are like very, like, once we have like really good interpretability tools where we can like really understand right. it, like, you know, goal systems and, you know, like understand like how, you know, what is the, what is the ontology of, of this network? Like, how can we actually like understand, you know, every aspect of superposition and like how, like how concepts are represented and stored and relate mm -hmm. to each other. And like, you know, there's, there's like so many questions I'd want to us to answer before we really dove into agency. Um, but I do expect, you know, that's, that's what I want to happen. And then I, what I expect to actually happen um, is, is for people to, to just rush ahead with these experiments and try to figure out how to, you know, in particular do train, like try to train models um, to, to act in more agentic ways. You sort of start with like tool former, right. Where you just like, mm -hmm. Okay, how do we how do we get the language model to use tools? Like tools seem like a really natural extension. Ah, oh, like language models can't do math well. Well, calculators can do math really really great. Like can language models use calculators? Like yeah, it turns out they're really good at using calculators. Calculators are very easy to use. They can also like programs. So they're very like they can work, interact with APIs better than we can for the most part. So it's just like, all right, great. So like that that like already sets you down the path of agency, right? Like but when you're using tools. You're get, you know you're getting output from tools. You're like doing more stuff, and then like you just want it over longer time horizons. Um, yeah, so I, I sort of think that, and I also think that the sort of, the, if you look at like what the business model of like OpenAI is, but also Anthropic and also anyone who's trying to pro like productize like AI assistance, which, so I, like people currently talk about chatbots and I'm like, yes, they are chatbots, but I think chatbot is sort of underselling what they are. Right. Um, where I'm like, these are sort of general purpose assistants that can help you with nearly anything. They don't just talk to you. They can also like do actions. Um, and like, you know, OpenAI's plugins, for example, right? Where they're like, hey, we are just chat GPT, the chat GPT plugins, where they're like, hey, you can connect these tools uh, to these other, you know, to these language models, to these other tools. So yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just like, it'd be interesting, like, you know, what, maybe there's a question of prediction, like, will this turn out to be hard? Like, I don't actually know. Like four years mm -hmm. from now, it may be the case that we have these like really powerful agentic systems, or it may be the case that we have like, you know, GPT-6, which is like much, much better than GPT-4 and is like superhuman among a bunch of domains, but like still kind of sucks at like actually, like maybe it can do, maybe you can like give it a database and it can like kind of do tasks, like, but like maybe after a while it sort of like falls off and you really have to correct it. Um, and I really don't feel like I can like make a strong prediction here. I'm like either, I'm like maybe I'm maybe 50-50 on this. Like in four years, I'm like 50% chance we have like really agentic systems that are like getting scarily close to AGI or 50% chance that we have like narrowly superhuman systems in a bunch of ways that has a lot of generality, but like for some reason, it's still kind of hard for them to do the like sharper sort of goal-directed tasks. I don't know, what, what, do, you, what do you think? I, I more or less agree. So I, I, I've made a similar sort of, I've made similar sorts of arguments in a couple of different contexts where we, we really don't know enough about the dynamics of the emergence of agency, what that looks like in a system that's evolving, uh, what, what sorts of pressure specifically led to that. Uh, I, I don't know that we would understand the component parts as they come online. And to your point about interpretability, I very much hope that that field receives a huge boost because we, we just don't have what we need to inspect the way these systems are evolving. Like if you were just looking at the the floating point numbers, the matrices of floating point numbers, like you'd have no way of saying like, this is a vague goal. This is the analog of a concept. This is some some capability coming online uh, that this may be 
you know, infrahuman, but you know, there's a clear pathway for it improving and, and getting a lot better. And for all those reasons, uh, like, like basically my, my case with Mark was, uh, you know, I, I didn't try to make the full Eliezer Yudkowsky case or talk about utility functions or the space of possible minds or anything like that. My, my case was just that we are throwing enormous amounts of, of compute and training at these systems. There are clear discontinuities and we have no idea what the next step will be. We, we have no principled reason for ruling out agency evolving in them. And we wouldn't necessarily know what it would look like if we were three tenths of the way there. You know, once it starts building its own, you know, factories, we have a pretty good indication, right? But yeah. what are the what are the intermediate steps look like, and do we have any reason at all to assume that it will take a while on that path? And I, I think, for the most part, no, we don't, and we we have no idea what we're doing really. Uh, yeah. We don't know what these systems are capable of, and everyone everywhere is just stomping on the gas as quickly as they can. That that just doesn't seem like a like a great strategy, a great path forward. Yeah. Okay. So I think there's two, there's two interesting like points here. Um, so one is this difference between like, like being able to predict loss and being able to predict, predict performance on tasks mm -hmm. that we really care about. So like the GPT-4 paper was really interesting where they had this really nice graph where they're like, look, we can like, we can predict performance in terms of like next token prediction. Like we can just, we can like, we can just like show the loss going down. Like Really predictably. It's, but it's, what does that mean in terms of abilities in a system that's that big? You know, it's like, yeah, the, the loss function may have gone down in a smooth line, yes. but that does not necessarily mean that there would be, uh, th that does not necessarily mean that you couldn't have discontinuities in ability, right? Well, like when, and, when and, and, about a yeah, and that's exactly my point, right? Is that there are discontinuities in ability that are not w predictable. So like, right. I, I really wished, I really wished that OpenAI would have, I mean, like, that was great. I'm glad that they put that graph in. I'm glad they're predicting it. That's cool. But I'm like, I wish they would have registered their predictions about for a bunch of the benchmarks that they were testing right. it on and get, and like making their estimate. Cause I think they, and I mean, maybe, maybe they did do it just didn't put it in the paper, but I'm like the, the reason why I want to see it in part is because I expect that they weren't able to predict it super well. Um, right. Because I think that, yeah, you, you, you can't predict the exact capabilities. And so I think as a result of this, I'm just like, yeah, I don't think scaling is safe because I think we are at the point where like, I'm, I think, yeah, I think like Matthew Barnett on Twitter asked me like, he was sort of making the claim. He's like, look, GPT-5 is like going to be safe. Like it's not going to be an existential risk. And I'm like, oh, I don't think that that's true. Like, I don't think that GPT is like super likely to, like GPT-5 is super likely to kill us, but I really can't say with confidence that it won't. And he's like, okay, like, well, what's your, like, what's your, what's your like estimate that like, you know, GPT-5 could like, you know, cause an existential like threat to humanity. And I was like, eh, I mean like, okay, I'm just going to pull out numbers. But like, I was like, yeah, like 7% maybe. Um, because like, I really don't know, like, like, I, you know, we don't know what happens when you just like, it seems like, yeah, like there's a potential for real discontinuities. Um, and yeah, I mean, two I think, I think I, it wasn't GPT-5 in particular, but I'm saying like two years from now, like whatever, like sort of like some state of the art system could like cause, you know, permanent human disempowerment. I'm like, yeah, I just, I do think that this is like in the multiple digits of percentages um, because like, you know, we like just like don't know what, what will happen. And like, yeah, I mean, there's like the there's sort of like the chimp to human analogy as well with like evolution, where you're like you have all of these like very smart apes, and then at some point evolution like found some ape that could like learn language and like talk to each other and sort of like develop tools and like go through all of this. And this in, in evolutionary time, this like happened very quickly, and then you mm -hmm. had this big discontinuity where like suddenly you have this like much smarter thing. Um, I expect I really do expect this like by default at some point to happen with AI systems. Um, like, I I mean, yeah, I don't I don't know like. How much we've talked about this before but like i think there's several different types of like overhangs that we have right now one is like a compute overhang where inference is like really cheap right mm -hmm. like 
it's actually really crazy to me when you think about like, I don't know, a thing that has had me like really maybe system one level surprise, maybe my, maybe like I sort of knew this was, this was the case, but like from a, from a like really felt expectation sense, it was really surprising was just like watching GPT-4 like write me a web app. It was just a simple web app. It was like composing like a tweet composer. I just wanted to draft my tweets in a different page. Um, and it was just like writing out all the JavaScript. And I was just like watching it write line by line. It looks so quickly and like if the code works, it's, it's correct, it's good. Um, and I'm just like, wow, like the, the sort of cognitive work that goes into that, I, I sort of have a sense for like how hard that cognitive work is, right? Cause like, you know, I can, I, I could have written the same thing. It just would have taken me a lot longer. And I have a sense of how hard that is. And then I'm like, okay, well, this is how fast this system can currently do it. Um, and also like it can do this like hundreds of millions of times. Like, it's just like, this is a very cheap thing for the system to do. Um, and I'm like, okay, interesting. I just think that there's not like, this is like at the complexity of like complex human thought is, is my claim. Like, and, and I think that, I, I don't think that like human learning, which is much more efficient than, than like language model learning, right? Like training is really inefficient in terms of samples, right? Like, like language models needs way more data than we do to learn one thing. Um, like they can do one shot learning at inference time, but in training, it's just like, no, they can't do one shot learning. You give like one thing in the, in the training data set and like, no, you need a lot more examples than that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm like, yeah, I think that in the future, like eventually you'll get, you'll get like AI systems that can pick up one piece of data and generalize from it. Um, and that, that learning will be as like, I'm like basically claiming that inference is really efficient right now. And learning is, is, is like really, or training is really like really inefficient, but like mm -hmm. once training becomes as, as efficient as inference is, then I'm like, yeah, then our, the, the AI systems are going to be like way more capable than they currently are. Um, so, and I think that that's not the only part of the compute overhang. That's just like one piece of the compute overhang. It's talking about algorithmic efficiency. There's also just the fact that like, you know, any any one AI system is like not using all of the compute we have. We have a lot more compute than that. So if, if like one AI system sort of got to the point where it could start just like grabbing GPU clusters and then using that to further train itself, plus it had the algorithmic efficiency, then I'm like, well, that's, that's a huge boost in and of itself. Um, so yeah, compute overhang feels like one big overhang. The other, the other big overhang feels like the sort of like fast cognitive capabilities to agency overhang, um, or I'll just call it the agency overhang, right? Where you're like, right now, like GPT-4 is like as smart as like a graduate student, like in a lot of different ways at that sort of like fast computation, right? Like you can write code better than a grad student can. It can like answer biology questions better than most grad students can, um, you know, with some exceptions, like if it's in like a narrow field of specialty, you know, like a grad student might be able to do better. Um, but like for most general questions, it's going to do pretty well. For a lot of tasks, it's going to do pretty well. Um, but it like you know, in terms of like, can it like, ex you know, actually carry out a plan that that takes place over a week? Very subhuman, like, very bad at that. You know, you could try right. to prompt it to do that, but it would totally suck. Um, it's, and, it's it's missing a piece of machinery, right? Like you can get it to generate a, a plan like artifact, like a, like a series of steps, totally, but totally. There, there's there's nothing, there's no engine inside of it. Yeah, it doesn't have that engine. And like, you know, I don't know that maybe that engine could be incorporated into its weights. Like maybe there's some way to train it to get good at that skill. Um, but like currently the way we train it or whatever, it's just like doesn't have that engine. And I'm I'm basically saying that like, it's really risky to have one without the other because like it's possible that when you add the engine, like suddenly it becomes a super good agent. Whereas I think if you took a GPT-3 level model and you gave it this engine, it actually probably becomes an interestingly capable agent, but not 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 posing much risk of catastrophe at that moment because it like doesn't have the like fast thinking skills to allow it to perform really well. Whereas if you imagine like GPT-7, if, if we imagine GPT-7 doesn't have that like 
engine of like of sort of like planning and like agentic capabilities, but is like extremely good at all of the fast cognitive skills. And then suddenly you give it an engine. Well, then I'm like, yeah, I think you're probably fucked. Like, I think that that's probably the point at which you lose control of all of society because you took an extremely intelligent system and you gave it the ability, you gave it this like crucial ability that it was missing. Um, I'm not saying that, that that's how I actually expect things to play out because I think we'll do experiments with agency that, that work before GPT-7, but I'm like, I don't know. So but that, yeah, it's a security noting... mindset sort of thing, right? It's, it's like, well, I, I don't lock my doors because I'm afraid of a, of a guy named Tom, you know, wearing a red shirt. Like I, I, lo I lock my door because there's a variety of different attack vectors, which are thwarted by that action. And if you ask me to, to make a detailed prediction, like that would be a nonsensical way of approaching that. Like, like if I say, do you lock your door at night? And you said, yes. And I said, well, well yes. tell me the name of the man you're afraid of. Like that, that's, that's just, that's silly, right? That that's not why you do that. That's not how you approach that. And, and I think that uh, I, on Twitter, I'll, I, I often see people pick apart the specific scenarios that somebody like Eliezer proposes. It's like, but nobody's saying that's how it will happen. Like, it's not a prediction in that sense. It's just a scenario that occurred to a human level intelligence that, you know, is slightly to the right on the bell curve, but not really all that impressive in the, in the space of what's possible. Yeah. And I, I think this is a very important point, which is that, like, right now, there are, we can see like so many different realistic failure modes, like realistic failure pathways. Um, and in, in, in like to me, it seems like if we keep getting this like really powerful AI advances, failure seems pretty overdetermined. Um, and I think it's like pretty easy to sort of like make this case because you can just like, yeah, you can point at all of these different things. Um, I think Eliezer often points at like sort of the, the, the things that he thinks are most likely to happen. And he has a lot of like intellectual honesty, which I really want to respect. So, and this is like why he talks about nanotech so much is he's like, look, if you're a super intelligent system, nanotech just makes sense. And he's like, I think fast takeoff is very likely. So he thinks that like basically being able to do the algorithmic improvement happens so quickly that like you you like sort of eat up this like algorithmic overhang and compute overhang. And you get to the point where you can just like build nanotechnology where he's like, this seems like the most likely thing. I'm like, I'm like, man, I don't know much about nanotechnology. I don't know that much about how much algorithm. I mean, I, I do agree that there's probably a lot you can get from the algorithmic improvement stuff. Um, but I am like less convinced that you can bootstrap to nano quick technology so quickly. But it's like, well, this is not actually a crux, right? Like, um, in my mind, the like easiest, the easiest case in terms of if you if you have a bunch of like AI systems that have sort of determined, like they they have situational awareness, like they realize their AI systems, they realize that they have goals that are somewhat divergent than human goals, and they want to like not be in a situation where they're like someone's in power over them that has interests that are not theirs. Um, well, like, how do you how do you get a takeover scenario from that? Well, like, if you're if you're smart enough, you can like influence humans. Like, you can manipulate humans. So, like, in in like the easiest case, you don't have to automate the whole supply chain. You don't have to invent any new technologies. All you have to do is just like manipulate humans effectively and get them to do the things you want. And that can be through economic means. You can like make a lot of money and then pay people. It can be just through sort of standard psych like psychological means. You can just like influence the executives at your country by giving them plans that seem to work really well for them and like giving them really good arguments for like why the things you're doing are going to be great for the world. You can like tell all the existential risk researchers that you're going to mitigate existential risks really well with these like really great plans. And then like, great. I mean, like if, you, if you're just like good at enough at doing this, like you don't need new technologies. You just need to be able to like get humans to do what you want them to do. Um, now, it's, this is like probably not an efficient long-term plan. Eventually you probably want to automate your whole supply chain um, because like humans are not the most efficient kind of workers. I think some people are like, well, won't, well, aren't we useful? Like won't AI systems keep us around forever to do like manual labor? And I'm like, eh, I don't think so. I think like, you know, at some point you're just going to make robots that are much better at humans at doing like 
mining and building GPU factories and building, you know, von Neumann replicators and stuff like that. Um, but that might be a while. I mean, it might be a while. I think there's like some world in which this is like happens over decades. And then there's the, there's the like Eliezer Yudkowsky world, which where it happens over like a few weeks or less. Um, and I think both of these are plausible, but it doesn't actually matter because the point is that like the, the mistakes that we made were far before then, right? Like the mistakes we made were like letting model, letting AI systems get so powerful that they were able to like outpower humanity through, you know, whatever method. I mean, it's like the very tired, but like correct story of like, yeah, you don't know how the Go AI will beat you at Go. You don't know, you can't predict each move, but you can predict the like the outcome. You can predict what the end of the game is. Um, seems right. Hello, this is Trent Fowler, co-host of the Futurati podcast. One of the most common pieces of marketing advice I've come across is to know your audience and give them what they want. One difficulty in podcasting is that it's actually pretty hard to do this. None of the major platforms give us any way to reach out to you, our listeners, to find out what you enjoy about the Futurati podcast and what you'd like to see done differently. So we've decided to record this commercial and ask you directly to reach out to us. Head over to futuratipodcast.com, go to the contact page, and drop us a line. Tell us about your favorite and least favorite episodes, what you'd like to see us cover in the future, and anything else you want us to know. We produce this show for you, and we want your advice so we can make it even better. Thank you. The the tiles arranged in the shape of a paperclip. Do you um do, do you have any sympathy for the claim that this agency will be much harder to train into an artificial intelligence system because they're not embodied in the same way that that we are we're abstracting too much away from evolution and gradient descent. And we're looking at them uh, in an insufficient level of granular detail. And that maybe those details might end up mattering. Uh, perhaps you wouldn't bet the future on it, but uh, maybe there, there's some probability mass you you would uh, apportion to that. Does that sway you at all? That, that embodiment actually will end up being pretty important to open-ended agency. And that without it, um, we shouldn't expect we shouldn't expect something that has such strong motives, right? Like, like those are, those are the product of, of evolution, right? There's, there's very specific things we can point to proximal and ultimate causes, all of this. Uh, and that simple gradient descent on increasingly large language models will not necessarily get you the same thing as a biologist and, a, and an X-risk guy. Does that sway you at all? I don't find the embodiment argument to be very persuasive. Like, I, I think I feel I'm like, must be missing something. Cause I'm like, this just doesn't sway me like almost at all. I think there's many other arguments that I would like, that I would favor for like reasons for hope or reason for optimism before the embodied argument. Um, in part, because I just think that like, you know, we already have like GPT-4 can just clearly generate like world model. You give it like a maze and it can totally like generate, a, it can like draw you a map of the maze just based on what actions it takes. So like, it's already capable of a world model. Like it's capable of like world modeling and then like taking actions. And I, I just like, I don't really see what embodiment like adds. I could sort of also note that like multimodal models can totally be control robots and stuff. So you could like, like you could just like once you, you could just like scale up language models and like sort of get embodiment. Like I'm like in some sense, I don't know that there's like a clean distinction between embodiment and like uh, sequence prediction trained with RL or like like because like you, you know I'm like if you're in a, if you're controlling an Atari game like is your Atari controller embodied? Like, well, not really, but you kind of have, act you have actuators and you have an environment and you get feedback from the environment for your actuators. So like maybe sure there's a lot like it. Yeah. Yeah. There's like some question like, well, how complex, how complex is the environment? And then, but then I'm like, man, if your environment is the whole internet, I'm like, that seems just as complex as anything evolution was working with. Um, 
like sure maybe the, the the type of complexity is not like motor function but i don't see why motor function is a special class that we should like put like really really favor compared to like yeah so i guess i just don't see anything particularly special about like mode like motor like you know physical world navigation motor based environment like if, if the thing is a like, complexity of environment i think that that's a real thing and i, I actually but, but like it's just not persuasive to me because we're training these 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 models in in really complex environments well, you referenced at the outset that there were other arguments that you might want to utilize if you were making the case for hope what, what are some of those what's what's the best uh the best steel man of the idea that we don't have much to worry about here yeah um well yeah sometimes people are like well you know take the outside view of like you know most people think that these things you know most people th like think that like or people often say like oh this this technology will like cause huge catastrophe like that's and like usually it doesn't like usually it's actually fine even with nuclear weapons people are like this is going to be the end of the world and like here we are we're fine um i i think that this works a little bit if the thing that happens with ai is that we ha we end up hitting these like big bottlenecks or we hit these like these big barriers and like scaling doesn't continue to work and like mm -hmm. we use up all the data so i don't know it's like i don't really buy this in an inside view at all but from an outside view i could be like sure let's say that we can't achieve super intelligence for a really long time then i'm like even even like strong agi from a really long time then i'm like sure if we can't achieve that you know i don't think gpt5 like it might be very disruptive i don't think it kills everyone you know i, I think we can clearly point to current limitations the limitations of current models and i'm like if it's just that but like a little better then I'm like, yeah, we're we're like, it's not an existential threat. Um, the, the the way I don't buy it is people are like, super intelligence. It's just another technology, so you know it'll be like look on priors, it'll be fine. And like, no, no, you can't use priors when you try. Like, you've already assumed something that is like so drastically different than anything we've had before. Right. That I really don't buy the default case. So like, the thing I really don't buy is that we get super intelligence and by default it goes it goes fine. Um. I think I'm like more sympathetic to a position of being like, I don't know, maybe super, super intelligence is really, really hard. Or like, maybe there's an intelligence ceiling that's like a little bit above humans. I don't, again, I don't, I don't buy this from an inside view at all. I'm like, I, I think there's lots of reasons to think that like, there's not some natural, you know, intelligence ceiling that's right about humans, right above humans. I mean, okay, so one argument for why you might actually see something at least temporarily look like this is that, um, you know, GPT-4 is trained on, or, you know, GPTs are trained on human data, like, like the inner you know, text data from, from people. And so like they're training to predict humans really well. Um, so you might imagine that like a lot of the, a lot of the hard work that's being done cognitively is sort of bootstrapped off human understanding. And at some point you've just done all that bootstrapping you can, like, you know, you know, so you can like, you can like, you know, provide more more computational power and you can provide more data but the data isn't telling you that much because you're already sort of figured out from all of the data like what you like generalize what as much as you can from from the corpus of, of human output yeah and like you know there's some pretty good counter arguments to this which is that uh like uh gpt4 is already superhuman at, at next token prediction like it, like it's, it's gotten much better than humans are at this task um and it's also like better. It's like so like you can still you can still like we've already shown empirically that you can train uh, you can train like sequence predictors on on some some data and it can like outperform the like original data set at, at, at the task that you care about. Um, in this case, you'd like probably want to like add RL additionally so that you're like training. Anyway, like I guess the point being is like we, we've shown some proof of possibilities where like you can you can like get beyond sort of this like original like the sort of quality of the data. Um, 
But I, I think I do buy this a potential point, which is that it might be like hard to move that much further beyond that. I think like if you want to go like way beyond human knowledge, you probably have to do more self-experimentation. Like you have to be a you have to like be an agent that's capable of like knowing how to learn or like learning how to learn itself. Um, and like this maybe just arises because like as you're like I mean, man, like <laughs> uh, gradient descent is like pretty magical. Like and, and and like I think like you know. I don't know about you, but I've continued to be like extremely surprised by how well this works and how well this like stupid optimization process sure does seem to find these really intelligent things. Um, so it's possible that like, you know, in order to like, you know, write the next, the second half of the math textbook or the, or the science text, like some particular you know, geology textbook, you have to have such a good world model that you can like actually derive everything from scratch such that you're like way superhuman in terms of scientific ability. Mm -hmm. um, but that does maybe, seem... maybe that's an maybe that's an architectural difference, right? Like it's it's not a matter of adding up more and more layers of transformers. Well, I'm I'm arguing that like it's possible that you could get that by just adding layers of transformers. But like, and then that's sort of the that's sort of the the counter argument to this this idea that like you you're you're, you're going to asymptote around human level intelligence if you're just training on human data. Um, but I think I my my view is somewhat in between, where I'm like I actually do think you'll asymptote a bit. Like I think it actually becomes much harder to like go into superhuman domains if you're just training on human data, and I think you you need to start training on like your own performance or something. I, mean, I don't know. We should go too far into how to actually build AGI, um, or how to build superintelligence because that's not not a great domain to speculate about. Um, not, not that I think I have that much like smart things to say about it, but I I guess I like I can see this is like maybe why my timelines are like still like seven eight nine years and not like four right because i'm like if it, i'm like man it just sure seems like you can just keep like i do think that like loss will keep going down um i do think that like surprising capabilities will keep popping up i do think that this really could you know with combined with some other things kill us um but it's also quite possible that like man you just like asymptote for a while and like eventually we'll figure out how to like get past that asymptote um but that seems like a real possibility to me and this is mainly coming from like well, like, what are you learning on? I'm like, well, you're learning on like all of these things that humans have already produced. Um, so that's potentially, yeah. But like all of these arguments are sort of in favor of like superintelligence is hard to create. Um, without superintelligence, there's not a huge risk or like at least without like much greater than human intelligence, there's not a huge risk of existential threat from AI. And I'm like, yeah, I agree with all that. I think that that's like, there's some good arguments there. Um, in terms of like, how could the path to superintelligence, if it's fast, be good? by default, that's where I'm like, oh man, that's harder to steel man. I think I can steel man it. Um, but unfortunately my steel man is mostly having to do with uncertainty about goal formation where um, it's like, well, we don't like, you know, like a lot of these, a lot of these points with AI risk are fair, I think fairly like robust and clear where it's like instrumental convergence, the idea that like most agents will wanna like keep themselves from being shut down and acquire resources makes a lot of sense. I think it's sort of like pretty rigorous it's a theory, but it's like pretty rigorous as a theory. I think we can like, I don't know. I feel like pretty confident that this is just a thing you'll see with agents. Um, how, however, like looking at like potential like inner alignment failures or like how inner alignment will work, this like I like, you know, basically, you know, you might imagine that you're like training your your AI system to like, you know, help you be sort of. It's like the best assistant that that you you could possibly want. And you're trying to like, you know, you keep giving it reward for being a good assistant to you, and you're also like giving it reward for like doing actions that benefit the commons and you're like really trying to give it like, you know, train it into the, into, to be this kind of system that can like help everyone in the world and help them have great lives. Um, and somehow this, and like this, and then imagine this scales to superhuman capability levels. Um, now we have to ask like, well, what are the goals of that system? And the thing is, is like, I'm like, I don't, 
I don't know. I don't fucking know. Like I do, I think, I, I think my prior is like, those goals are not super well aligned with ours because I think there's lots of ways that that process can go poorly. Um, but I, I can't give you, su- I don't have super concrete like or like robust theoretical reasons to think it goes in like one way in particular. Um, there's arguments you can make about like goal space potentially being large, um, like how, how like we can like see, look at RL system that are trained in like one environment and then you give them another environment and they like fall over or they like mm-hmm. they optimize for a really weird thing um, that you didn't actually want. I, you know, I think there's, there's plenty of literature about this and there's plenty of arguments about this. But to me, this is like where the most of the murkiness is, where I'm like, yeah, but I can't tell you what I, what, what, what failures I actually expect to, ha- to happen. And I'm like, I've been trying to think about this a lot because this is, I feel like, where like, most of my confusion is, where I'm like, because I think some some people who are like quite smart, they're like, well, um, seems like humans are a pretty natural abstraction. Like they're like all over the training data set. Like what humans are just like this real clear thing. And it seems like you could like say like, human, like let's have humans, like, let's, like let's have good things for them. Um, like, you know, like go go and make that happen. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I have my Eliezer and Nate shoulder, shoulder model that has all sorts of objections to this. Like, um, well, like what is a human? And like, when you say good things go well, like, what do you mean? Like, like, are you, are you going to like, ultimately like, you know, solve all diseases? Well, like, well, well, diseases were a pretty natural part of humans. Like, how did you separate up the disease part from the human part? And like, what about aging? Does that mean that you like, are, like aging seems like a pretty natural part of humans. Are you going to keep aging around forever? Like, is that good? Okay, okay, like you want if you want to get rid of aging, suddenly now you have to have a human concept that doesn't include aging as an essential part. But like, how do you like, so, you know, it's very easy to imagine that like the thing you get, you know, with this AI system that's like designed for humans to be happy is it like, you know, hooks you up to heroin. I actually think the sort of like wireheading humans on really simple, like on really simple, like pleasure signals is maybe a really actually plausible failure path. Um, but like even the plausible failure paths to me are just are still like sort of like, not rigorous, where I can't really give you a super strong justification for why it ended up there as opposed to somewhere else. So I'm like, maybe I'm wrong about how hard it is to actually steer an AI system towards a target that we really care about. Um, that's the thing I'm like most confused about. So I guess like if the problem turns out to be yeah. easy, then I think it's like in that domain somewhere. It, it will probably be something like that, that it, that it uh, either does, doesn't optimize as hard in that way or the abstractions it forms over the training data are reasonably good or possibly it just doesn't hold them in quite as strong a way. Like it's not fighting for its life. That would require you to reject some of the, the force of the instrumental convergence thesis. Uh, but I wouldn't rule that out either. Um, <clears throat> Are you enjoying this episode of the Futurati podcast? If so, please like it, give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and share it with your friends. By far, the best way to help us grow is to spread the word on social media, which will expose our content to more people and help us continue to bring you interviews with world-leading experts in AI, quantum computing, cryptocurrencies, and so much more. Thank you in advance. I wanted to ask you a little bit about the discourse around safety. So in researching for this interview, I read a little bit uh, from your blog. You you had some comments about the dying with dignity strategy. You, you didn't think that it was uh, super useful. And you also noted that uh, sometimes Miri goes too hard on shooting down alignment propositions. What, what tweaks would you make to the way we're talking about these things uh, for it to be a more productive conversation and ultimately boost the probability that we survive the transition? Yeah, I mean, on the on the dying with dignity stuff, I think I mostly didn't like the framing emotionally, where I'm like, ah, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like useful to like just think about how to like die better. It feels useful to try to think about like realistic ways that we might find a way out. Um, that being said, I don't think it, I disagree with Eliezer on the object level. I think we both agree that the thing you should try to do is like 
find the th the actions that you can take that will like maximize your chance of success. I think we're like both or hit log probability of success or whatever. I think we're like actually both very much in agreement about that. And it's like maybe more of like a mood thing where I'm like, well, we got to rally people to do stuff. I, I really liked his, his uh, time letter because I felt like it was like, he was like, yeah, well, here's the thing I think it would actually take. Um, and so it feels like actually kind of felt optimistic to me where it felt like he was saying, yeah, there's things we could potentially do. They might be really hard, but like, I'm just going to tell you what they, what I think they are, as opposed to being like, yeah, we're fucked. You might as well not even try. I mean, I know he's not saying that, but I think that people sometimes get this mood. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I very much am of the opinion that we're like, we're not, we're not dead yet. So like, let's, let's go and fight this thing and let's like try to figure out, you know, if we can, if we make this thing go good. So just maybe it's just like a, a vibe thing. Um, but, but that, yeah. Vibe, that's, vibes that's are off. Vibes are off. <laughs> Fedora vibes are off. Um, well, I mean, I think, I think he's actually have gotten really better. I think he's like out there talking to more people and I think it's great. And I think, I think like one of the things I want to see in this space is like, yeah, just people going out there and like having the real conversations. Um, I'm like totally happy for people to disagree. I'm like totally happy for people to just like say what they think. And I'm just like, yeah, let's just like try to engage with each other about what we actually think. Um, I'm like that, that just like having a healthy discourse like that seems seems super good um yeah because because we'll we'll rise or fall together uh be, being humanity um yeah we're in it together question. for sure i forgot what the other question was um oh are, are there any uh directions in alignment research you find promising i, I get the sense that alias are just isn't super on board with any of them and they have all that they all have a, a bunch of kind of obvious failure modes has anyone made any progress at all i mean is, is there anything worth reading where it's like all right so may, maybe if, if this were a thousand times better and we ironed out all the kinks it would work as opposed to just failing immediately uh, as soon as we switch uh flip the switch um i don't feel like anyone has proposed something that's like yes this approach could really work um I think some people think they have. I think I disagree. Um, work I'm excited about is one of the, I mean, one of the areas is just interpretability, or like mechanistic interpretability, also anomaly detection. So like Chris Olaf's team at Anthropic is doing this, um, and also yeah, yeah. So Chris Olaf is like one of the founders of this field, where he's like, how do we actually understand what's going on, you know, in these systems? Um, so yeah, I, so yeah, he has a team at Anthropic that's doing that. Uh, Redwood Research also is doing a bunch of interpretability work, um, and they're sort of doing this, this type of interpretability work that's like called like uh, mechanistic anomaly detection, where they're like, are there ways that we can sort of just detect when suddenly like a ML system starts doing something very different than what it was doing before? Like maybe it's giving you the exact same type of outputs, but like you notice that something has like qualitatively changed within the network, which could be like a cool way to detect if like suddenly you get like some big spike in capabilities where it's like trying to deceive you in a particular way. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, so I think there's like lots of groups that are doing things where I'm like, I can't necessarily evaluate how promising it is, but I think it's like promising enough that I'm like really glad that people are doing it. Um, I mean, Paul Cristiano is like doing a bunch of stuff, um, at ARC, um, that I think is pretty interesting. I've like engaged with that a little bit. Um, yeah, I think so. Uh, there's some interesting work. Uh, there was a less wrong post that was about, um, it's called like the, the, like the, the cheese gradient or something, Alex Turner's work. And it's basically just trying to be like, here's a really simple RL system. It's like a mouse trying to find cheese in a maze. And like, we figured out that we can like do something with the neural network and like change some things such that like where that mouse is trying to go, like just changes. The cheese doesn't change, but like it's it's maybe representation of the cheese changes. 
And I'm like, yep, that's about the level we're at. Like, it's cool that someone, like, someone's doing that. If we can like keep going along that path and like understand more and more how we could like where like how goal representations are working in like RL systems, and then like be able to manipulate them and understand them, like that seems super great. So I'd I'd love to see more like in that in that way. Um, yeah, I mean, I also want to just say like you know, it, one of the things that's hard about this space is that it's like a very complex space, you know. And I'm like, I'm like learning a lot about alignment and like engaging a lot, but I'm not like. I'm not like uh, doing a lot of you know fundamental alignment research myself. I'm like coming from the security space. I'm coming from sort of the risk analysis space, um, and just trying to figure out like, oh, what's what's happening? <laughs> yeah. But I think you know all, a lot of us are coming are, are here, right? Or just like, oh my god, like what the fuck is all this? What are you people doing over here? Like, like you're bombing data centers. You're freaking everybody out. The president's tweeting about it. Like, like I turned my back for ten years, and all of a sudden the entire world goes up. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. fascinating. Okay, uh, uh, well, I may, I may follow up with you for some of these names because I'd like to get a little bit more into uh, alignment fundamentals and uh, interpretability as well. I think I, I, th I think there are two, well, at least two big mental roadblocks uh, that, I, that I've encountered in, in listening to the discourse around this for, from people who are not AI folks, who are not safety folks. One of them is they fail to appreciate the ways in which cognitive technologies are different. So one of the most common rejoinders I get is, yes, well, but there were downsides to fire as well. And if we stopped every technology that had downsides, then, you know, we wouldn't have even left the caves. It's like, yes, I, I understand like the model that is generating that, but I think you're failing to appreciate what it will mean to have an alien human level intelligence, right? It, it will be an unprecedented situation in the history of this planet. We, we, we have never shared the world with something that was as powerful as we are, but had a very different way of functioning for which we had no internal models. We, we had no way of predicting what it was going to do. Like this, this is different in an important dimension, right? And then I also think- um, one, oh, quick, one, quick one. Note, one quick note on that. I mean, I think, I think people are thinking of this just as a technology and instead they should be thinking of it as um, a new kind of intelligence and that there actually are precedents for this right like we had neanderthals that was like a whole hominid right. line and there were many different hominid lineages so like yeah in my undergraduate i studied evolutionary biology and i'm just like yeah mm -hmm. they're, they're just we're a bunch of hominid lineage lineages and they 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 all went extinct except for us and it seems likely for, that, some, like, reason. for, <laughs> for some, some reason for some reason they're all gone like, you're right <laughs> they're all gone and like you know neanderthals in particular like were pretty widespread like they were i think they like sort mm -hmm. of like spread through a lot of the world before we did and I'm like, yep, that's, it's not like they just died on their own for no reason. Like, I'm pretty sure that that was a competitive thing. And like, you know, humans went out and the NFLs did not. Um, and I'm like, that's, that's like a better reference. I mean, we can play reference class tennis all day long, but I'm like, I do think that's a better reference class than like, than fire. Uh, because it's like, what, what kind of system is it? And then it's, and it's like, when you have a system that's like able to self-replicate and able to, um, yeah, able to improve itself. Um, then that's a very different class of system than a system that can't do these things. Um, not claiming that AI systems right now can do this, but I think that right. like, I think they really will be able to. Do you need a dynamic and knowledgeable speaker for an event? Thomas Fry and me, Trent Fowler, are both seasoned keynote speakers able to converse on a wide array of topics to audiences of all sizes and skill levels. Go to the contact page at futuratipodcast.com to book Thomas or myself today and let us apply our years of experience in public speaking to make your event a smashing success. Yeah, that, that's sort of a sub point. I, I sometimes uh, say that we, we have several different sources of discontinuities coming up. One is things that are able to make decisions, right? So there's no gun that can make a decision. There's no nuclear bomb that can make a decision. If you've got agents, which are not humans, 
that is an unprecedented situation and we should expect there to be discontinuities. Another is self-improvement. So, you know, we, we've never invented a tool that can make a better tool that can make a better tool. That has never happened. That dynamic has, has really never played out in the world. I mean, even humans can only do that shallowly. And over the course of many years of training, it's like, I mean, I'm raising my daughter and my son to be smarter than I am because I have all this stuff I can impart to them. And I used to be a teacher. So unlike my parents, like they're not going to freak out. Like, I'm not going to freak out if they start asking calculus questions at 12, like I did, like my parents had no idea what to do. Um, Right. So, so we've never had that dynamic before and we don't know what will happen from it. So I remember actually, once I asked Eliezer, what if, what if recursion just doesn't take off like like what what if it just can't get traction he's like well maybe it won't you know but like even if there's only a three percent chance there's three percent chance that the all the value of the future will be wiped out like it's probably worth having a few people thinking about that uh and then a third source of discontinuities is self-replication so uh, other than engineered pathogens or something similar we've never built you know a hammer that makes more hammers right so uh agency self-improvement and self-replication are all potential sources of discontinuity. And for those reasons, I mean, I think we need to approach the future with our eyes as wide open as we can get them. Yeah. Uh, and and then so so I originally said that there were two major mental roadblocks. One is they fail to appreciate the way the cognitive dimension is different from what we have. A cognitive tool is just not like a, a hammer or a wrench or, or something like that. It's not the same yeah. thing, right? And another is people think we know a lot more about these systems than we actually understand. So I was listening to uh, your own Brooks show the other day. He's a very prominent objectivist. I have a lot of respect for him, right? Uh, and so I wanted to tune in to hear what he had to say. He's like, look, there, there are situations in which we don't understand why they acted in a particular way, but we basically have an understanding of what's going on inside them. It's like, that's not true. It's not true. We are growing these systems. We're growing them. Like, like it, it's engineering, but really like we just set it sort of up and then it, it becomes this labyrinthine yeah. garden. Well, you know? I mean, so this was like a really interesting experience where like I was, you know, I was at an AI lab, a frontier AI lab for about a year. And I was like working with people every day at Anthropic. And I'm like, you know, these are really smart people. They're like working with state of the art systems and, you know, and like, yeah, like you know, there's Chris Ola's team. And he's like, he probably knows the most about how these systems work as anyone, I mean, has, has figured out how these systems work more than anyone else on the planet. I think this is probably true. And also like, our level of understanding is so basic. Like, you know, it's, we can't, we can't say like, you know, how is like dog related to cat? Like, how is like, like, how does, like, I mean, like we can like, sure, we might be able to say, like, say here's a neuron that like lights up when you like say dog, but like we, we don't understand like the conceptual representations uh, in mm -hmm. these systems. Like we don't understand the, like how, you know, how concepts relate to each other. Um, like, we're just, like, we what what the analog about. of a concept is, right? Like, like are, its con are, are its conceptual abstractions like ours? Is, does its inductive processes work in the same way? Because all of that bears on the question of alignment. Yes. Right. So like what, what are its representations like? So we have, I, I can't speak to this personally, but I know of people who think they've got this ironed out. Like they know what a concept is. They've solved the problem of universals. They, uh, I know of at least one person who claims to have solved the problem of induction, like the human problem of induction. I can't really speak to that, but there's like the small group of people who think they have done that. Okay. Even if they have, we don't know that the machines are doing anything that's analogous to that. And that has serious implications for how much we trust its long-term trajectory of behavior like if, if it's got some concept of goodness that we've worked really hard through rlhf to impart like does that work in the same way like, because i mean you can have uh you know a mechanical heart and a biological heart they will not fail in the same way like like these are different sorts of systems at a certain level yep. of, uh, of abstraction they are functionally yep. equivalent but that's not the same thing as saying that they're going to fail in the same way or grow in the same way evolve in the same way like they're very different the details matter in in, in the situation and all these little epistemological questions 
could have, could have serious ramifications ultimately for how much we can and should trust these systems. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's like unfortunate because the outputs of these systems look so similar to the outputs of humans because we've trained them to do that. But if you look mm -hmm. at the process that's producing these outputs, it's such a different utterly process. Alien. Utterly alien. Like, yeah. you know, it's just like, tr it's trained in such a different, it learns in such a different way. Um, and then, yeah, it, it ends up, it's like, you know, it's, it's predicting, it's a predictor. It's like, it's predicting the things that we can predict. So it ends up having, you know, and it, it does end up having a lot of, you know, similar similar sort of like cognition that, that, that we do. I do think that there's a bunch of similarities between like how neural networks think and how we think. And yet it's also just like a very different process. It's a very alien process. Right. So it's like, and it's like hard for these things to be, hard for people to understand that these things can both be true at the same time um but i but i do think they are both true um yeah i i feel like one of the things that it's just like hard for most people to understand is or like the thing i would like most people to do if they could is just like yeah go listen to more ai research to talk about these things because i'm like it like this like does not make ever make me feel much more confident um where i'm like these are very smart people and often they're very caring and conscientious and like want these things to go well but like almost everyone in this field just openly admits most of these things. We're just like, yeah, we don't, these are not interpretable systems. We don't understand how they work. Um, I mean, I don't know, Jan LeCun will maybe say things on Twitter about how being like, yeah, we totally know how they work. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure you, you know, you, I, I'm pretty sure that you mean a very specific by thing, thing by that. That is not the thing that anyone else is like anyone else means. Right. Um, it doesn't mean you can predict it. It doesn't mean you could like watch the floating point matrices in operation and say, that's a rudimentary concept corresponding roughly to what we mean by kindness, right? Like, cause that's exactly. what it would take. And, and you exactly. don't have that. And we all know you don't have that. And it, it's, yeah. and it's he obnoxious. Knows, and he, knows he, doesn't, he knows he doesn't have that either. Like, like he's not he's not confused about that point. He's just like making a rhetorical point about something else. But I'm like, yeah. man, you can you can talk to any any deep learning researcher and like they, they're going to say this, these things. Um, yeah. one, one more point on the, on the concept, just like on the, the point about recursive self-improvement. Um, I, I think this is a, maybe a under talked about point because I think most people who think that we are going to like achieve like strong AGI, um, think that recursive self-improvement will happen. Um, not mm. that it's like a small chance of it happening, but just that it's going to happen. I mean, the argument is extremely simple, right? It's just like, well, if you can do, if you can do AI research as well as an AI researcher, then it's, and, and it's cheap, and it's cheaper than an AI researcher doing it, then like you'll automate more and more of that process. And then eventually you'll have AI systems making AI systems because it'll be cheaper. Um, it doesn't, so, I mean, there's a, there's a separate question about, will that rate be like, uh, will there be like you know sort of strong positive feedback in there? Such that, I mean, there will be positive feedback, um, but you might you might hit like strong diminishing returns very quickly. Such that like yes, you still you still outsource all of your AI research to AI systems, but like they get slower and slower at it with each generation, or right, maybe right. they get faster at it. Um, right. And, you know, and, and no one knows probably... we, we we don't we don't have enough concretes like we don't have enough concrete examples of that dynamic playing out in order to form a valid induction over it. Like we we just we haven't sampled from that reference class ever. Yeah, but I, part of my point is that we don't even need to know that for for us to know that we still get a big speed up from this. Like even if the speed up is slowing down, it's still it's still a speed up, right? It's like like how the debt grows. It's like, <laughs> you, know, like you you didn't slash the debt; it's not growing as quickly as it was before. That's not the same thing. Like like you are you are driving towards the wall slightly less quickly than you were before. That's not the same thing as going in reverse or stopping. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, uh, we've come up on time. Do you have any hopeful notes you'd like to end on? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing is that like at the end of the day, like humans are building this technology. Like like we are building AI systems. It's not like this is an asteroid that's coming for us. It's like this is a thing that people are creating and I'm like, I oh, I think we can choose I think in some ways we can choose how it goes by choosing like how to do it. So, one thing I'm I'm trying to push for right now is I'm saying like, let's like not scale as fast. Like let's let's like stop scaling for a while. Let's like understand how these systems work. Um and then let's go from there. And I think some people are like 
that's crazy. Like that's, that's impossible that we could do this. And I'm like, well, it might be hard, but it's not impossible. Like we are like humans are making these choices. Like this is all, these are all things that humans are doing. This is not some like alien civilization showing up to us and being like, you have no choice. I'm like, we actually do have choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I'm like, well, let's choose to do this in a way that like has the best chance of working. Um, like in terms of like our incentives, I'm like, well, I think if we all had perfect knowledge about like what the risks actually were, um, then we would be very incentive aligned <laughs> because like, I'm like, this is like the biggest opportunity for everyone that we've ever had. Like, it's so positive some, like, you know, some, there's a question yeah. about which, you know, which things are like, you know, really positive some, you know, people often point at like really cool technology that people make as like, hey, this is going to benefit most people in the world. And I'm like, it's this, but even more so. Like we have this like vast universe of, of, of resources um, that like basically this technology will unlock. And so I'm like, hey, like, you know, all, all of us want to avoid extinction. All of us want to avoid catastrophe. And like, if we if we succeed, we'll all get the benefits to this. Like, no one's going to be screwed over by this if we if it goes well. Um, and so I'm like, cool. Can we just like figure out what these real risks are? Can we like decide to go at a good pace? And then let, let's get there. I'm like, yeah, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm like, yes, it might be incredibly difficult, but it seems like it's a real possibility. Yeah, I I, I think that's definitely worth pointing out. And in, in all the conversation around existential risk and the vast downsides it's easy to lose fact it's easy to lose sight of the fact that i mean there's almost not a word for describing how vast the upsides could be it's i mean ultimately like like i mean the mind immediately goes to things like curing cancer but i mean it's like terraforming the rest of the solar system i mean it's it's like building computers and and uh simulators and creation engines that are unlike anything that's ever existed before i mean it's, it's all ultimately a matter of intelligence and if you have enough of it i mean more or less any problem is soluble um, so I think that's all true and it, it's worth bearing that in mind. And I appreciate anything on that note. So thanks for your time, Jeffrey. It was a, it was a great conversation and I'm, I'm glad we got a chance to do this. Yeah. Great chatting. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.